hello and welcome to the Eric Lang Show. How are you, everyone? You may have noticed one small detail. This is not Eric's voice. That's because this is Jeff, G-E-O-F-F. Sadly, Eric is dead, and that's because I killed him. Sad face. But I will continue doing the podcast for him because you all love it so... Oop, almost lost the mic there. I'm going to continue doing the podcast for him because you all love it so much and I know how to operate a mic very well. Oh, I just missed that. Just kidding. Eric is alive and well. He is sitting right next to me. In fact, Eric, do something to show the listeners you are alive. Now you may be wondering why Eric is not speaking. You may also be wondering why am I speaking? Why I am speaking? It's because Eric is on complete voice rest for two weeks. But rest assured, these are all his words because I am reading a script that he wrote for me to speak. So from now on, when I use the word I, think of Eric. It's kind of like that movie Ghost. So in that case, I in quotes is Whoopi Goldberg. I, me, Eric is I am Patrick Swayze. Holy shit, I am so confused. And you, the listener, are Demi Moore. You are all Demi Moore. Let me now address you properly. Hello out there, Demi Moores. You speaking with the ghost of Eric through, Je- my, through my vo- Jeff's voice as a medium. Jeez. <laughs> so, any questions on how this will all work? Jeff, do you have any questions? Um, well, I uh, guess I'm just going to go with the flow. <laughs> Why am I on voice rest? Well... In January, I was around someone who had a cold. Mind you, I have not been sick in a year and a half, and I completely credit this thing I got for my birthday last year that I've been meaning to talk about called a hair test. It changed my life. She takes her hair and analyzes it and then tells you what supplements to buy, and I literally became the Hulk. So try it. So anyway, this person didn't get me sick, but my throat just felt kind of funny. Then I went straight to the PGA show, and I yelled all week about how much I love life. After that, I started to sound like Clint Eastwood, but as though Clint was whispering inside of a house that was on fire while also exhaling, a, uh, while also exhaling smoke of 900,000 cigars and also whispering really, really low, like almost not even talking. It sounded kind of cool, actually. But what was really happening was that I had a small blood blister. The doctor called this a cyst on my vocal cord, literally right there on the edge. So my voice sounded weak. The vocal cords make noise because they slap together at a very high rate of speed. When mine slap together, this is starting to sound gross actually, they couldn't get a tight seal because of the blister. Just got really gross, I'm so sorry. Anyway, I'm an idiot, so I waited two months to go to the doctor. I finally went the other day and the ENT literally shoved a 15-inch pixie stick down my nose with a GoPro on the end of it. Surprisingly, not as bad as it sounds. I mean, who doesn't love pixie sticks? I took it like a champ. Did you ever snort a pixie stick, Jeff? I bet $500 right here that you haven't. Now, guess whether I have or not. No. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, back to the doctor's office. The pixie stick didn't really bug me, but what did was the aftermath of the pixie stick, obviously. 
So my next 30, so for the next 30 minutes, my eyes were watering and I could not stop needing to sneeze. Do you know that feeling? Do you have allergies? No, I, I don't have allergies, luckily. Anyway, this was a feeling of not sneezing. Not that that would be too easy. This was merely a need to sneeze. That feeling was worse than the alien abduction prodding just moments before the aftermath. So she said complete voice rest for two weeks. So now I have this dry erase board that I am writing on probably right now while Jeff is talking to you. Guess what I am doing right now. Can you guess? I'm eating a, don't say it Jeff, I'm eating the best paleo cookie ever cooked. I finally perfected the recipe and I'm ready to share it with you. Are you ready? Okay, I'm going to tell you people the recipe now. Behold the recipe for the paleo cookie. One cup almond flour, one quarter cup coconut flour, two thirds cup of cocoa sugar. This is good because it is low glycemic index, so better for you than real sugar. Heaping teaspoon of baking soda. Heaping teaspoon of vanilla. Jeff, make sure to pronounce this vanilla. Hope I'm doing that right. Also, anyone want to ask me how to make a heaping teaspoon of liquid? It's not possible, but do it anyway. Tablespoon maple syrup. Drizzled on there like, never mind. Dash cinnamon. No one can taste it, but you know it's in there and that's all that matters. One good egg, dare I say, great egg. As many chocolate chips as you want to take down on the way to that big bakery in the sky. One quarter cup virgin cocoa oilio, playa. <laughs> playa. <laughs> Mix the ingredients like a boss, then pat it all down in the bowl like a mom patting her baby's bum. Then you have to put this mix in the fridge for 30 to 45 minutes, maybe even an hour if you're feeling committed. Science? If you don't, the cookies will taste like shit. So bad, they actually may they actually may kill you. This is what really happened to Eric. He didn't refrigerate the dough and now he's dead. So let's <laughs> let's take that as a lesson, folks. Refrigerate that dough, please. See the fat see the the fat needs to get all stuck together. And that way the cookies end up fluffier in the oven and you can and you can increase your chances of getting laid. So like the band from the 90s, G. Love and Special Sauce used to say, stick it in the fridge. Yeah, we, we definitely can't license that, but for God's sake, fair use. We love fair use around here. Uh, Okay, so to finish that recipe, then toss them in the in the in the kindling at three hundred and fifty. Can oh in the kiln? Okay, sorry about that. Toss it in the kiln at three hundred and fifty degrees until they look golden, delicious. And you need to use tape just to hold your mouth and the drool coming out of it shut. Usually thirteen and a quarter minutes. If my photographic memory serves me correctly. Just kidding, I don't have a photographic memory. Laughing out loud here. Eric has an awful memory. I can attest to that. He always forgets to pay me. <laughs> now I'm gonna try one of these cookies and let you know what I think.
Mm. I very much approve. I think these may be the best I've tasted out of a whole bunch. And we did beat Levain Bakery this time. Okay, what next? Eric found his copy of Zen Golf. So I'm gonna read two chapters from that right now and then I'm gonna relate them to my life as a non-golfer. Fire your evil caddy. Do you talk to yourself on the golf course? Out loud, silently, or a bit of both? Most of us engage in some form of self-talk. We don't usually pay much attention to the quality of what we're saying, but perhaps we should. The way people talk about something to themselves is a reflection of how they feel about it. If we say, I don't have much of a chance of, on this shot, we're not likely to do well. On the other hand, if we say, I can see what I need to do and how to do it, we are more likely to succeed. What we say to ourselves has a powerful impact on our games. That's because we're not just talking, we're listening. What we hear about ourselves affects how we feel about ourselves, and how we feel about ourselves affects our performance. In my golf schools, I introduced this topic using a role-playing exercise called Fire Your Evil Caddy. I ask for a volunteer from the participants, and we pretend to be a golfer and caddy on the first tee about to start a round. As the caddy handing him the driver, I say, remember all the things you're supposed to do in your swing. Everybody's watching now, so try not to make a fool of yourself. You're making people wait. Why don't you get it over with and not try to slice it into the woods like you usually do? After the volunteer pretends to swing, I say, that was terrible. I knew you were going to slice it into the woods. Won't you ever learn how to play this game? At that point, I turn to the participants and ask what they do with a caddy like that. They usually reply in unison, fire him. Then I ask, have you ever said any of those things to yourself during a round of golf? A wave of, recon of recognition sweeps through the group, accompanied by groans of remorse. I explain, talking to yourself that way is like talking to an evil caddy around, around with you for 18 holes. Why don't you fire your evil caddy and be your own best friend? Well, to me, uh, you know, I am a non-golfer. I do go to the driving range occasionally, but, you know, we all have that inner monologue in our heads whenever we're being not sure about what we're doing in life. You know, for me, I'm a filmmaker. So occasionally if something doesn't go the way I want it to be, you have that internal monologue and, you know, I try my best to push through it. But you do have to as this said, the metaphor of firing the caddy, I have to fire that inner voice. I have to get it out and push it out of my head. So I think, you know, whether it be in sports, in career opportunities that you're pursuing, you, whenever that voice comes up, you push it aside, you fire it, you get it off your team, and you move on to the next thing. Because that's, you know, that's life. Hole one, and then there's hole 18, and there's this giant gap between them. So even as a non-golfer, I can use golf metaphors. <laughs> so, so Eric is typing something. Not being able to speak for just now three days has really reminded me just how important people are. And not being able to actually speak with them 
even just the person in the regular even just the person at the register is is much harder than than i thought i literally have to remind myself not to talk All that said, I would not ask for, I would, I would not ask for another deal. It's just interesting how certain experiences can teach us certain things. I've been really enjoying watching movies these past few days. Because I forget that I can't talk. Really funny, actually. Someone made a joke to me that what if after two weeks my voice doesn't work? I didn't laugh. <laughs> but anyway, this is me and... I am really looking forward to talking with you again. Not you, Jeff. <laughs> the people. The people listening. <clears throat> this podcast has this podcast and your and your response to it has been almost as special as making the show, Adventures in Golf. Okay. Good night and good luck. <laughs> Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out, and now check out this podcast. Okay, so now I'm going to throw this to an interview that Eric did a long time ago, maybe five years with George Lopez, comedian and golfer. It's about 35 minutes long, and unfortunately, none of it will be in the cut of Be the Ball, which it was shot for. So this is interesting because this was not intended to be heard as an interview, but more as just cuts for the film, although it actually works as a full cut like a normal conversation. Toward the end, we start doing things like holding for the plane, which is one of the more annoying parts of filming, Actually, this was shot at the Santa Monica airport where George was doing the dog show there. What a nice guy, really sweet, and his insights into golf really resonate with where I would find myself years later. 
here now on this podcast with you. Enjoy it, and remember, no mulligans unless you want to, unless you want to. Stay tuned for Thursday, and we have a great guest lined up for you, especially if you like words and laughter. Aha, that's so vague. Anyway, enjoy the interview. No mulligans in life. Exactly, no mulligans in life, people. Remember that. But there are free drops, so keep that in mind. How do you access the zone? Well, you know, there's a uh, thing called the Bloody Mary. No. <laughs> the zone is, uh, you know, I'm not sure a lot of amateurs can talk intelligently about the zone because we are the ones that just get up to the ball and hit it with never even setting our feet. Those are some of us. And there's some of us that have an upper body moving and a lower body that doesn't move or on the downswing your arms keep moving and your shoulders don't move. So we don't have a pre-shot routine. Mike Weir told me every amateur should have a pre-shot routine and it sounds easy. It's the most difficult thing to do. Think that every time you're going to take one practice swing, get in there, wag a little bit, get set and fire. We can't. I have a friend of mine that takes helicopter swings over his head like five in a row. And then we play, and I'm like, yo, man, that's not going to work for the rest of today. So I said, why don't you just take one and then take a little bit of a break? And you asked, you might have asked him that I might have told him to reverse his complete DNA and his, his electro system. You know, he, he couldn't do it because we are become like, it's like when someone puts their hands into clay. Whatever that mold is, it's the mold you try to break when you have a bad habit in golf. It's tough. Zone. It's a four-letter word. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty, we can cut there. I think it's pretty much that's all we needed. No, but um, it's like that, man, zone. What the fuck do we know about it, the zone, man? It is a four-letter word. We'll take a double, double, double. Yeah. Or what? What about the uh, PBFU, man? That's the, the post birdie uh, fuck up. Yeah. Where you look like you're a star, and then the next one you yank, it never gets higher than a foot off the ground. Yeah. What is that? Why does that happen? Um, I, I think that there's a... If you've ever been in a fight or in an argument, there's a, there's a part of you that blacks out, that disconnects. That might be the zone. We call it blacking out. It, it might, that might be the zone. But there's an uh, adrenaline that we're not used to. There's, a, there's an energy that we're not used to. And we get a little bit nervous, and then we get... When we get nervous, we don't get looser. We get tense, and then tension is, is the worst thing that can happen. One time at the uh, AT&T, you know, I had a little bit of a rough night the night before, but I felt pretty good. Like, I had a little bit in me still. I was like, I feel pretty good hitting the ball great on the range. And there's all of these red uh, jacket uh, marshals right by this uh, coffee stand. And I go in there and I say, I want to buy all, everybody here, it's probably like 80 of them. I want to buy everybody here some coffee or whatever you guys want. And they all get coffee, and it's like $180 for all of this coffee and stuff. And then on the first tee, I par the first hole at Pebble on a Saturday. I chip it up two feet, which I, my, my pre-shot thing was, I'm going to miss. And it went in. Then the second thing, I yank it, and they say, hit another one. And I said, no, I think that's in. But I knew it wasn't in. I knew it was out of the hole. And then I go over there, and Mike Collins was on ESPN. He's been my caddy. ESPN caddy. Uh, ESPN caddy. So... 
I go up there and it's between the out of bound stakes, but right on the line. And I go, Mike, check this out, man. The ball is right on the line, dude. It's in bounds. How does that happen that in the grass is high? So I go, maybe the grass stopped the ball, but it's on the line. And then there's a guy with a red jacket like this about 10 feet behind me. And, and he goes, thanks for the coffee. He kicked it. He kicked it back in. He kicked it on the line. So $180 bought me a, a mulligan on the second that hole. That kept you in the hole, yeah. That <laughs> kept me on the line. So what do you do? You know, I mean, it, walking up to a shot after you have a birdie, there's a lot of adrenaline there. Is it like that when you're about to go on stage? What do you do with that? Well, in golf, I always try to go last. You know, and then some guys take a lot of time. There's some there's some players that take a tremendous amount of time. They're not better than anybody else. They just take a lot of time. And, you know, nobody wants to play with somebody who's slow. Uh, I've seen guys play at my club that were play, that were paired with somebody who was slow. And after nine holes, leave. <laughs> like, just leave. Maybe they're just like, I can't do it. I'm just going to leave. So, um, uh I just think that we, we need a, a self-calming thing, maybe a, a counter. I try to count to three because my feet would always be moving. So I try to get in and count, to, and count to three. But there is a certain element of luck in an amateur's career that, uh, that, that, we, that we need to have. You know? But uh, the, 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 the thing about golf is that um, there's, a, uh, there's a sense of this warming of your soul every time that you chip it or hit it perfectly when you look up and it's going where you want it to go there's there's that love that you probably should have gotten from your dad might be when he shakes your head or your hair and hits yeah it does one of these going you're all right you know you're a good you're a good boy that if you didn't get chipping the ball or hitting a nice drive or making a nice putt is 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 that even though those clubs don't talk they have no feeling they have no emotion they are responsible for a lot of things in my life that i don't think i would have gotten from a human being you know that's why I love it so much. I'm not even so much about the score as, uh, as much as I am about the fact that I don't get upset or throw a club or, or um, I treat a eight like I would treat a, a four. <laughs> and then you're only cheating yourself. All those things, man. You're only cheating yourself. So I, I, um, I love the game for what it's been able to give me. And I know my limitations also, which is a, it's, which is a great thing when you're an amateur. Um, and then I guess, I guess, you know, how does that translate? Because you are a professional at something that most yeah. people would dream of. Well, you know, I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to play with some pretty powerful people and some pretty successful people, and it, um, it tortures them equally. So it tortures the pauper and it tortures the king equally. It has no uh, sacred cow. It doesn't care what you do for a living. Sometimes it'll hurt you more when you think you're better at what you are. Listen, I played with Derek Fisher, who's the coach of the Knicks. He was playing for the Lakers. They had won the championship. And Matt Barnes, they had just won the championship. Two guys who are world-class athletes who didn't get it in the air until the sixth hole. And they just looked so uncoordinated and, uh, uh, over the ball. And they're, you know, they're great at what they do. Some guys won't golf because they'll just say, I have an addictive personality and I, I don't want to play. <laughs> or some guys will stop playing. And then you can't figure out why they stop playing. So um, there is a um, camaraderie, I guess, maybe in, in tennis. I don't, I don't know if it is in tennis. 
uh, but there's a camaraderie in golf that you meet good people on the golf course. And I've rarely met uh, somebody, maybe I played with somebody who I didn't particularly care for in the beginning and then became quite fond of at the end. So it, there, there is a, um, a great um, surprise in golf at, at, every, at every, um, every shot. Listen, there's one, Mike and I have a great picture. I think it's his um, avatar or icon on Twitter of me and him flying like bumping chess. And I had hit a good drive on six at Pebble when we made the cut. With, we played with Trevor. And I hit it up on the hill, which I never did. That's like an accomplishment, like, you know, trying to bench press or trying to do something, touch a lamp that you've been trying to touch for years. I finally got up on top. And then I proceeded to chunk the next one, which was three. And then chunk the next one over the green, which was four. And then people are around the green. It's a Saturday. It's beautiful. And I go, what the sh... I'm like, man, I'm paralyzed, Mike. I'm paralyzed. What the hell am I doing with this club in my hand, man? I'm paralyzed. Man, and I felt so bad. You have all these people watching you. And you just chunk two. One 10 feet and then one 70 feet over. And then the next one, I, I chipped in. And I was so happy. And they took that picture of us jumping in the air, bumping chess. And it goes from like that. And that's really one of the things that's so wonderful about golf, man, is you're belittling yourself, and every shot is a chance to, to be great or continue to be a, continue to suck <laughs> until you, and you'll get one of those, though. But golf will give you, it'll, it'll give you those. Finish the sentence. Hang on. Um... Yeah, it was quiet all day. It was quiet all day. Okay, finish the sentence, ready? Golf is? Golf is my father. Because it gave me things that, I didn't have a father. But it taught me to control myself. It taught me not to lie. It taught me not to cheat. And it taught me that when I wanted to quit, if I went easier, I, it went, things went better. In life, in traffic, in relationships, in, in friendships, you can't make somebody like you. You can't make a person love you. And sometimes the, le the less you try, the better things are. And I think that's, that's golf. Instead of gripping it, and that's why a little guy can hit it far and a big guy can have touch that you would not expect. John Daly, those hands, you know? Uh, and um, that's, that's the beauty. So it, it, is, my, it is my father. Um, that's deep, too. That's my dad. That is beautiful. Yeah. Um, I have, for the longest time, always wondered why, um, you know, the pros would cry after winning, and I thought it was interesting to hear you write a book about that. And oh, man, you know, I'll probably start crying right now. So, um, like, I watched Andy Garcia play and Costner play and all those guys play. And then when you're doing stand-up, you know, you never know what's going to happen to you. You never know where your career is going. So whenever the AT&T would always be on, I was always in a hotel room somewhere. And they would show the beauty of the beach and the whales and the waves and the celebrities and the fans and Ray Romano and Kevin James and Bill Murray and Andy and Kevin Costner and Tiger and Huey Lewis and them playing guitar and Peter Jacobson and Clint Eastwood and Jack Lemmon. And, you know, it's like, come on. And you're like, man, I'm, I'm nowhere near that. You know, then the first year I play, I make the cut 
with with Jesper. And I was like, the way Magic Johnson was his rookie year, like the first game, he makes, uh, Kareem makes a hook shot, and Magic is like, wraps him in his arms, and he's looking in the air like they just won the championship. And Kareem is like, yo, there's 81 more games, man. I mean, relax. So Jesper had, you know, been through some tough times, and his father was a famous comedian in, in Sweden, and he had issues being the son of, uh, you know, the Bob Hope of Sweden. And then when we started playing, we were playing well. I'd hug him or I'd touch him and I'd, you know, like go over there and put my arm around him. And his wife said to me, you know, he's really not comfortable with that. Like he's has trouble with male to male, you know, uh, contact because of his father, that his father wasn't, you know, always the most, uh, you know, Swedish man, you know, always one of the most, you know, hands on person. So on Saturday, we needed to make up uh, three shots to, to get in the cut, to get past 19. 19 was the line, and we were, uh, 16, we were 17. And on 14, I, uh, I, um, I was like ham and egg in it. And then I got 12 feet on the left, and I rolled this putt in, and I jumped in the air, and he came over and he hugged me. There's a picture of us hugging. And uh, that was big, you know. And then she said, that's big. But then on Sunday when we made the cut, and Mark Hensby and I were walking down, and I said, I never thought I'd be playing here, man. I never thought this would happen. And people were like yelling your name, and then Mark Hensby said, you know, my father told me that I would never be a professional golfer. And he never had a kind word to say about me every time I wanted to play golf. And then here I am. So we just walked down the fairway, and like I, I looked over at him, we were, both, we were both crying, you know. And then I have a house in La Quinta that I love. I lived in Pebble Beach for nine years. I have a house in La Quinta. And Lee Trevino, who's my all-time, one of my all-time heroes and idols and friends, stays at my house with, stays at my house with uh, his son. And they, and they love being there. And he was staying in a hotel, and he had become a creature of habit, kind of reclusive, you know, like I am. And then I got him to stay at my house, and I can't get him out of the house. <laughs> the greatest thing was I went over there because I thought I forgot some jeans, and I opened my closet, and... All his clothes were my clothes were my clothes were shoved down on the hangers to the end of the closet. So it's good. I mean, I love that. I love him, and I love that golf is able to you know take this guy, who has really the same my life I had twenty years later, and and he goes to my house with his son, and they love doing that. So, um, do you have like a mantra or something? You know, you see, you see, you you talk about golf. There's a lot that it's taught you. You know, do you have some type of like phrase that you use while you're playing that kind of reminds you of those things that you need to learn or remember? Well, um, do, you know, like do you say like it's just a game or something like that, or do you, you know, have you ever like, do you have those conversations with yourself, or it, maybe it just comes naturally to you? No, it doesn't come natural. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't come natural. But I just try to 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 take it nice and easy. You know, Ernie Al's the big easy, Lopez, L-O-P, easy. I go big easy. I just try to take it easy. And it's so counter to the way I grew up because I was always frantic and anxious. And, uh, you know, I can't afford that much medication, so I got to just breathe, man, take it easy. So I told you a little bit about the experiment that I want to do. Yeah. Um, is there any type of, like, advice or thoughts or, you know, do you have any type of um, ideas about it? or? Well, you know, the zone... You know, the zone is, I mean, when you're talking about a, a band that can put you in the zone, 
you knew that was coming. I mean, I mean, you don't know it's coming, but when you see that it's here, you say absolutely. You know, I, I can I can see that, and I can see that people get rattled at the smallest thing, especially golfers. You know, you you go to a Laker game or a basketball game, they're hitting those long things, and the guy's trying to shoot a free throw, and then in ten, in uh, in golf, they're like, shh. Well, if he's gonna miss it, why can't I make noise? So, the zone is. Something that I think is incredible for golf, but also great for students, and that thing's going to be big. But golf seems to be the one thing that, um, you know, somebody said, you know, the world is moving, and you're trying to put a ball into a hole as the world is turning. That's golf, you know, because the world is moving, and there's a hole there, and you're trying to put a... So, so um, it's... it's uh, uh, it's interesting to see. And golfers now, because they have uh, coaches, and they got a guy to tell them to remember to be think positive and be good, and they are good, and you are great, and you can win. And a guy will play great Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then have a 73-stroke average on a Sunday. They ain't going to make any money like that. But there is part of somebody, like I got it, because I do my HBO specials live, that makes you want to be in the moment. Some people want the ball. When I was in Little League, I would say to myself, don't hit it to me. You know, most guys will say, I wish they hit it to me. I would say out loud, don't hit it to me. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want it. But then you learn that, you know, you want to be that person. You want to be that, that, that guy. So um, I love the challenges that stand-up still uh, provides for me because you don't know how how good you can be. You can be great one night and great the next night and struggle and then find it like golf where sometimes you can you can start bad and end strong. It's just there's no there's no rhythm to it. You have to provide the rhythm. To some extent, you know, you probably walk out there with a microphone and some lights and some audience and you know, you don't really know how it's going to end up and it's kind of like golf, you know, you walk out on the first tee and you're like you got to remember to smile. You got to remember to breathe, and you got to remember to to hit it down the fairway. Hit, try to hit it somewhere. Stand if you're like like life. If you're in the hole, you're you, if you're in the you're in the on the hole. You're in the hole. You're in the game. If you're still within the bound boundaries, you're still in the game. You know, Lee Trevino said to me, you know, I want to teach you five shots that you can hit for these tournaments: a driver, a long iron, a a, a, a mid iron, a chip, and a putt. A stroke that that you will always be useful to you when you get under pressure. You should have five shots. Every pro should have five shots. How many do I have? You don't have any. But you, I, my goal is to make you hit less houses than I see that you hit every year. So in that, you go. You know what? That's right. And then usually, guys, depending on how how manic a guy wants to to be, a guy can get really good really fast and then not have any fun and take the fun out of it. I think that there's fun between a eight and a 12, no fun between a, um, a five and a zero, where a guy hits it and he's like, son of a bitch! And you're like, that's on the green, yeah, but it's on the wrong side. And that, I never wanted to be one of those guys. Yeah, they're, they're tough to play with, actually. They're, you just, you know, or when you bet, yeah. and the guy says, what are you laying? Two, I have, you, you are, and what are you laying now? I'm laying three now. And what are you laying there? Four, okay. Yeah, this is for uh, five skins. I, I don't. Uh, I, I don't gamble. Um, how do you? 
Let's see. I mean, I think we got a lot of it. How much of golf is mental, do you think? You know what? That's, I, I think it's less than people put less than people put on it. But I think a lot of it is, you know, I, I told somebody and then no one ever no one ever believed that I thought I had two things that it's like working out and never losing weight or never seeing definition in your body. If you worked out for five hours uh, twice a week, three times a week, no matter how many times you play golf and you saw no change in your body, would you continue to work out? And most people say, no, man, if I'm working out that hard and I don't see anything, I don't, that's golf. You could play and play bad forever. It's like chasing a woman that you know she will never love you, but you love her. And she'll give you a little bit of success and then take it all away. But uh, it is um, a martial art. I, I'm convinced that it's a martial art, like Tai Chi, because it's all angles. You know, you get into a bad angle, you're not going to hit it good. You get into a good angle, and it's it's acceleration, not fast back, faster through. It's it's back, and then down, and then faster, and then turning. Hardest thing to do. I got an orange whip. I got a, a, hum, a bumblebee. It's, it's yellow and black with a knob on the end of it. Same thing. I got, I got uh, a putting rail. I got uh, a putting green. I got one that shoots the ball back out. I got one that Scotty Cameron gave me. That's like a metal cup that you have to go get the ball. I got putters galore stamped with be the ball, stamped with you're the man, stamped with El Mas Chingon, stamped with G-Lo. I got, I got a ton of shit that it doesn't matter what's stamped on that thing. It's you and it's temperament and it's tempo and it's angles and it's a martial art. Why do you think it's so addictive? Because, um, because it, it's un, it, things are unexpected. You know, it, it's not expected that you could have a hangover and then play the best round of your life and then go to bed early, wake up and play a match and, and just get wiped out on the ninth hole. You know, like, you're back already? So it, it's, it's, it, it's in you and it's in that zone and it's in that band that when that thing comes out. But it is in a... It is in a in an unseeable feeling and an unseeable uh, energy that 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 you have. I think that is what the zone is. I, I had an experience the other day where um, I'm about you know I, I don't know what you are. I'm like a, a nine or something, yeah. and um, but I've been struggling with like being able to play well and then actually playing well. Right. And I met with this woman named Julie Ellian, who's Justin Rose's mental game coach. And I played with her and her family, and I was playing really well. In fact, better than her family, and I started right. to feel, like, weird. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I started not playing as well. And I called her later, and I said, you know, it was weird. I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable with playing well around you. I don't know why. Yeah. And she started laughing, and she said, wow. She's like, if you just let yourself be as good as you are, and then the next time I played, I shot my best round ever. The next round I played. I and I just went out and said, you know what, I'm just going to... I'm just going to play as good as I can, and I'm not going to like get into this weird, you know. Because I think a lot of it is emotional. Do you have that ever, or do you? I think that there's. Does she have a Twitter account, by the way? The, yeah. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. Elian J. You know, um, uh, 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 is the guy named Clearwater? Uh, what was the guy? He's probably on the, on the Champions Tour now. And Frank Nabilo. I had a guy that was struggling, and Nabilo walked by, and I said, Frank. 
tell my man something that will help him. And he says, well, let me see the swing. And uh, he goes, okay. He goes, just say, I'm going to make the best swing I can on this particular swing. I'm not going to worry about where it goes. And I'm not going to worry about what, where I'm coming from. But in the moment, in this moment, I'm going to make the best swing that I can. Also, the practice swing is supposed to be a complete mimic of your real swing. And I was watching a guy play uh, in front of us, and he took beautiful practice swings. And then the real swing, he jumped up, and his arms went out, and the wing flew up. And I'm like, that, that's, that's, not, uh, that's not what he was doing before. So, um, yeah, like that. I mean, every, every golfer, I think, should try to get a pre-shot routine and mimic his practice swing in speed and in, 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 in how you finish. Um, so there was a plane flying by earlier when you started talking about that sweet experience of watching the ball after you hit it. Yeah. Can you talk about that again? Yeah, man. I mean, there's a, you know, there's, I mean, I don't even know how they do this in clubs where there's a sweet spot. And then when you get a club and you get a shaft that's yours and you get a grip that you like and you put the right amount of tape on it and everybody has a, gr a grip that they like, vinyl, they like the cords of the show, they like a wrap, they like this. Everybody's different. And in all of those things coming together and you'll see a ball and you'll see the hole and there'll be a sand trap or there'll be something and you'll keep your head down and you'll 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 hit it and as you look up, the ball starts to become a bit of a dark spot and as it goes and you know it's going where you need to go there is a vibration that comes into your hands and through this area right here that would almost be like a light lighting up like a like a humming of a and it makes you and it makes you feel good i think that's the addictiveness of golf and that feeling even chipping even keeping yourself moving and not stopping um people uh, decelerate is a is a thing Hesitation in life, deceleration. If you just go through and deal with the results, which is which is what golf is, but all of those things, there's a satisfaction that comes to you, because you know it's you. It's not nine, eight other guys, or it's not five other guys. It's it's not tennis doubles. It it it's you, and that warmth and that feeling in your chest, is the reason why I play golf. Would you say golf is a spiritual game? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's why uh, the, the courses are always uh, crowded on Sunday. <laughs> Anything else you want to add? Anything, I mean, I'm just honored to be in company of all, all of these great celebrities and great golfers. And you know what, man? I'm, I'm getting that thing because as I was in the hotel watching all of these guys and, and you know, meeting Tiger in 97 and playing with Trevor and being friends with... Uh, you know, Charlie Hoffman and hosting the Bob Hope the first year that he won. There's some satisfaction that I've had uh, on the course, but there's also satisfaction and, and being happy for, for friends of mine who have done well, which I didn't have when I was growing up. I wanted to see everybody fail. <laughs> oh, wait, I did want to ask you. I think we have a couple more minutes. I did want to ask you. Um, one of the things that I... So, because I actually just came to golf like four or five years ago. Yeah. And... Um, I was kind of uh, repelled from it most of my life because I thought it was a game for, you know, like old crazy men. conservative old white yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. it still is. It still is. <laughs> but it might not be. It, it moving might not forward, be. That might change. 
You know, it's um, I, I think what would be great is everybody has a lot of clubs in their in their garage and around their house that they don't use, and you get attached to these clubs. But there's some you don't get attached to. I think there should be a month um, that uh, golfers go and deliver those clubs and make sure they get in the hands of young kids, and see caddy programs come back, uh, because the caddy teaches respect. And it teaches players to respect caddies. Sometimes guys are mean to caddies. They're mean in business. If you're mean to a caddy, you're mean in business. If you cheat at golf, you cheat in your business. And uh, I'd like to see people donate balls and 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 hats, because we always have we all have so many and things like that to uh, to boys and girls clubs and, and youth things that they can actually be used and not be sitting in a garage. Do you think? I mean, have you? I don't really want to talk about that, though. I was going to say, like, you know, beca- because it is such, like, a elite game. Because I, I come well, from this... I don't know this... if it's elite or if it's just the actual, you know... Well, I guess, I, I guess it's been kind of a bit segregated through the history of golf. But it, it doesn't have to be like that. And it is... Listen, I play for... I don't play for, for the history of the game, although I appreciate the history of the game. I play because of what it gives me, and I was kind of a kid that could have gone either way. So as kids are out there who are African-American, who are different nationalities, who are Latinos and girls who are out there that uh, are shy or um, this is something they can do on their own and see results and feel good about themselves. So elite, elitist game, that might always be a label that golf will have. I'm not sure how, how, how a value it is, but also it can make somebody a better person. You just say that again. Yeah. <laughs> one second. One second. Okay. Yeah, golf. Just pick up from, uh, and also it can make. Yeah. Yeah. Like golf might always have a label of being um, an elitist game. I, I, I yes, people, you could debate that. But also, if you do not have those resources and you go play at a public course or you go chipping and you go putting, and you're going to find out things about yourself, and I think golf can make you a better person. Yeah, because, I mean, I just love the way golf started as this kind of game that everyone could play. There was, it was just a piece of land in the middle of the town and people were like, you know, dogs and sheep and clotheslines and everything. And, you know, it sounds like back then it was almost like, you know, games are played in like urban areas now. So, you know, when it came to America, it all changed. And I just kind of wonder if, if, um, if it's going to go back to that. Um, you know what? They're, so, they're playing for so much money, and you see pro-ams kind of go away, and there is kind of a space and a uh, distance you have to keep. You should give a pro when he's trying to play for that much money and play for their livelihood, and they're, you know, they don't want to play six-hour rounds or seven-hour rounds or get caught with people talking or taking pictures or yelling in their backs. I understand that because the, the season uh, and the competition has gotten stronger, and, and I, honor, I honor that. You know, I respect those guys for that. But also, you know, going to St. Andrews and knowing that on Sundays it's closed and dogs run around on the, at the home of golf is also something that should, be, that should be honored. And there are public courses everywhere, and there are backyards where I started, and there are lemons to hit, and there are plums to, to try to get over a fence. And looking for a kid that started hitting lemons in my grandmother's backyard to playing at the AT&T, to playing at, uh, at St. Andrews, and to being known as kind of a, a semi-ambassador for golf and the love of golf, it, it, it all started with a lemon, baby, <laughs> and a seven iron. <laughs> That's great. Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, man. That was thank really you. good. Great. Yeah. What would you think, Ina? 
Those guys. That's a very nice story. And he I'd figured it out. Rooms, yeah, I'd, I'd be chipping in my room and stuff, you know. And I always made sure I was home by the time the cupboard started, like at noon, right? To three, and then they do like collages and stuff, and I'd be like, and then I ended up in one of those collages one time. But that was great. Yeah, I want to get involved with your tournament this year somehow. Please, whatever you want to do. Yeah, it's big, man. Now that yeah. Michael Jordan oh, doesn't yeah, do his anymore, it's, it's big, become yeah. the one. Yeah. I almost have to have a two-day thing. I think I might have to have a two-day. Yeah, that'd be great. Like Monday, Tuesday or yeah. Sunday, Monday? Yeah. That'd be great. But whatever you want to do, man, I'll give you myself. Yeah. You just tell me whatever you need to do. I'd love to. And then it's we'll go big. out and do it's the focus big. band. We should do that. And we can do that anywhere. You know what I mean? We can do it even with just a little uh, a flat putt. No, we'll go somewhere and do it. We'll okay. get excited and do it. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be cool with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How that'd about that? Do you hear about the focus band? Yeah. You put this headband on? And you explain it to them? It basically reads your mental activity and can differentiate between hemispheres. And they've found out that, you know, Zen masters who meditate have all their energy in the right side of their brain because that's where you listen and where you experience phenomenon and touch. Mm -hmm. And that can handle 11 million bits per second. The left side is thinking, and that's 60 bits per second. So basically, you need to go into your left side to see the break but then you need to go on the right side to actually do it without a thought that's saying, don't push it, don't pull it, don't hit it too hard. That's neat. And then when you put it on and you get to that point, it makes the sound like... "Mm -hmm." Yeah. It basically lets you know when you're actually in the zone. So basically, and it's a crazy tool that's going to go beyond golf. Like It's going to be used for kids who want to play a video game Mm -hmm. and they'll be able to drive the car faster when they're in the zone. And then they steer, but they, the speed is operated by their ability to because focus. Because what about when somebody said, what about when Michael Jordan was making all those three-pointers in that game, the championship game, and then as he goes by, he goes like this to the announcers right. like, <laughs> and that's a famous thing. Right. And he was in the zone. Right. Or when you really are doing something and you don't hear applause and you don't hear a thing at all and you're surrounded by thousands of people. Right. And there's no sound. Yeah. I think boxers have that where they're, totally. they just, they Time just, slows down. They, yeah. Well, and they've actually, you know, Scott, Michael Jordan meditated with Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen. Like, and then they won six out of seven years. It's crazy. Because I think, you know, when people try to meditate and they can't, or they fall asleep, right. they're, they're the other side of the brain's taking over. They've got to get to that place. And the breathing part of it is that too. Exactly. So, and, and actually breathing is literally, when I bring the guys in who, who like, know how to do the focus band because I know how to do it but they're like the experts they'll the first thing they'll do with you is be like all right how do you breathe and you're going to be like uh, like this and they're going to be like actually you're doing it wrong right I mean maybe I don't know but they they literally so they say your belly goes out first like yoga breathing on my TV show I uh, I was playing golf with De La Hoya and they said try to get in his head and I said hey do you uh, breathe in or out before you hit it? And he goes, uh, ask your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> 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 <laughs>